Welcome to the Oil Can Podcast. Hi there, it's Alan Mitchell on today's show. Zach Cassian's suspension, which is moments away, possibly. Uh, BOA Saturday night throwback. Impressive new second line. And who's the best goalie in Edmonton, among other things? Uh, let's welcome Daniel Nugent Bowman to the show. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you guys? Uh, very well. John Willis back in the in the nice, warm north. Uh, how are you? I'm, I'm so happy to be trading in the... The beautiful above zero Boston weather for my my native thirty below. That's a that's a real treat, a real pleasure, and I'm I'm just thrilled to be here. Well, your body was in shock from I'm sure all the the travel. John, let let's start there because you were on a, a you know a, a very very uh, as it turned out to be important for the uh, road trip for for the Oilers. But maybe let's just give me an idea and the listeners an idea about how much hurry up and wait there is when you're when you're tracking a team and reporting on a team like that (laughs) yeah that's kind of how it is you know you know the one thing that caught me by surprise is that they don't tell you where the media entrance is on all these different buildings and of course it's in a different place in all these different buildings so if you if you have to walk all the way around the building and say buffalo it's not a huge deal if you have to do it in uh calgary and it's you know through uh through a, an alpine pass and down a narrow staircase and past the tiger cages and you, you know it's it, it's a bit fun you're you just you just kind of live the the schedule so you you know they the, do the pregame practice at around 11 most night most games they do the the game at seven so you go to the rink you you get your quotes you go back to the hotel you do your story you you know get some food you go back to the rink you you wait around you wait around and and lots of waiting in airports lots of waiting and for for people to come out and give you interviews it's it's it's, it's like you'd imagine it's a it's a it's a lot of fun though it's 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 a joy and uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of really good people a lot of uh, really really polite pleasant people who are around the team um, in terms of reporting and and doing sort of odd little jobs and uh, it was a pleasure to to deal with them all well Saturday night let's start there uh, as we talk it's mid afternoon uh, I think an hour after Zach Cassian's hearing went at twelve thirty we're we're maybe we'll get lucky and hear about the suspension before the end of the podcast. But uh, Daniel, your thoughts on the BOA Saturday night throwback, as I call it, uh, a, a big game for both teams. Uh, Cassian, obviously a big part of that. What were your thoughts before, during, and after the game? Uh, well, I, I thought the Oilers kind of let one uh, slip away. I mean, they had two leads uh, um, and they, they came out of that game with no points. So, uh, against a hated rival, uh, obviously, but at a division rival where everything is so close, uh, that really stings. Um, obviously, the tipping point in that game uh, was the four-minute double minor that could have been more uh, to Zach Cassian, and, and the winning goal uh, was scored on the power play by the Flames. Um, I didn't like either uh, Kachuk hit. I thought they, uh, you know, the one in question, both of them really, you look at the... the uh, uh, the replays uh, charging. He comes down from at least the the, the faceoff dot, maybe even the top of the circle, uh, which is uh, that's a long way to go uh, to to hit somebody uh, in both cases behind the net. And that, again, that's a winger doing that. So uh, clearly, uh, predatory hits. There's no reason for a winger to be down there in the defensive zone. Um, having said that, you can't go and then pound somebody's face in and expect to get away with it. So um, I'm not a fighting guy. Um, you know, I have no issue with how uh, Kachuk handled himself. That's his prerogative. Uh, but I thought, 
if the plays had been called uh, appropriately, as you would expect them to be in the rule book, uh, the first one, you know, it could have been even a Rule 48 thing, and, and I'm surprised um, that uh, the league didn't uh, didn't call him in for a hearing himself, Kachuk, that is. Uh, but uh, to me, the biggest issue in the whole thing was that, uh, you know, Kachuk's uh, hits weren't uh, called, in my opinion, appropriately, in that being a charge. Uh, and uh, Zach Cassian did not speak today. He wanted to let, uh, you know, per Oilers PR, he wanted to um, have the result of the hearing uh, finalized before he wanted to speak again. Uh, but I'm curious to know, you know, to me, I wasn't at the game, obviously John was, but uh, to me it looked like he looked over to the, the referee and, and what irritated him most on that second hit was that there was no call. Um, I don't know that I haven't spoken to, to Zach Cassian, but that's kind of what it looked like to me. I really wonder if he would have been able to take a deep breath, uh, and calm down had the, knowing that the Oilers would have gone on a power play there that does not excuse him for, uh, pounding Kachuk's head in, um, and, and ultimately, you know, putting the Oilers down, uh, you know, for, for four minutes and, and, you know, the way it ended up costing them the game. Um, but things could have played out differently had the officials called things per the rule book. Yeah. And I think, I think Daniel frames that, that pretty well. It's, it's a situation we, we didn't get, um, clarification from Cassian on, on whether that was in fact, what, what triggered him. He was, he was talking and it was one of those things where you just sort of let him talk because you, you know, he's saying a lot of things you're trying to get down. Um, he, uh, it looked to me like the play happened the way Daniel describes, that he looked over at the referee, saw no penalty, and went right after Kachuk. I, I think Dave Tippett post-game walked the line really nicely in terms of supporting his player, but at the same time not condoning a play that led to you know exactly what Kachuk wanted, which was a power play and, and ultimately the Flames winning goal. It would have been ideal if Cassian had been able to you know take a number, keep it in mind, and, and, and wait. But uh, you can understand the provocation he was under. The NHL, of course, wants to take this sort of stuff out of the game. They don't want guys pummeling people who have crossed the line for, you know, um, offenses which will range from deeply, deeply troubling to perceived slights. Uh, it like uh, it used to be occasionally you'd see a guy celebrate a goal and 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 get jumped like uh, like Pierre Turgeon was by Dale Hunter. So the league has to take this stuff out of the game. The only thing they can do is throw the book at Cassian. That, that perspective, I think everybody understands, regardless of whether they're an Oilers fan or a Flames fan or whatever. But um, it, it, it wasn't a good situation. And to me, I think Cassian's actually a little exposed because the refs didn't throw the book at him Saturday because they should have given him about 17 minutes in penalties, and instead they gave him a double minor and uh, a 10-minute misconduct. And I think when it's not called aggressively in-game, player safety feels more of a need to step up and uh, deliver a message. The one thing that I was surprised by is the, and, and it might have been shock. I'm not going to try to read the mind of the linesman, but it seemed like a long time before anybody bothered to, to you know, jump into the fray, whether it be a Calgary Flames player or or the the the, the referee or the linesman, and, and and that happens. It's it's one of those things. But I I do agree with both of you. I think it, it was, I thought Tippett framed it as John said perfectly, where he said, you know, you, you hope he takes a number. And then he also said, uh, I, you know, we hope that we were able to kill it off, uh, for Zach. Uh, the, the, the issue for me is that, that as a, as an Oilers player, uh, you, you always want Cassian to say, okay, look, I, I can't put my dream team down, 
but but I I think that that in that moment uh, what Kachuk was trying to manage from Cassian he got which was uh, a four minute penalty could have been more could have been five in a game and Lord knows what else but as it turned out it was enough it was sufficient I don't want to put it all on Cassian because the Oilers had what nineteen minutes or so to to uh, uh, tie up that hockey game and it was. Uh, an opportunity missed, I think. I think the Oilers were, you know, they were in the game. I don't know that they were the better team, but they're playing a good Calgary team that was getting fine goaltending, and and it it could have been a better result. And w- what makes it interesting, I think, why it's going to make this Battle of Alberta the next, which is the 29th, I believe, far more interesting is these two teams are so tight, and there are five teams looking for three or four playoff spots here. So. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll run it again through Daniel first here. Uh, the, the the opportunity missed. If if Edmonton wins against Nashville and and Calgary loses their game, I think tonight, then it's basically back to dough. Although head to head, they're not the same. But when we look back on a year, Daniel, and say the Oilers missed by a point or two. Do you think there's any chance that Oiler fans will feel differently? Now I think they're definitely on side with Cassian. Do you think there may be a price to pay or or it's just water under the bridge? Uh the latter because there's, you know, there's still a third plus of the, of the season left. Um surely there'll be another, you know, game that that somebody can point to if they miss out by by a point. Um, I don't think this 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 will be the one that that will kind of stick out in people's you know, minds, uh, especially given that they play Calgary three more times. I mean, um, could be the you know the final game of the year if you happen to miss out by a point, and uh, um, that you know that will be the one. There's a little bit more recency bias in those types of situations. Um, but I just want to touch on a couple of things that you said. One, one in regards to the linesman not jumping in fast enough, and I can't blame him at all because I would not be jumping in there <laughs> if uh, somebody was was hailing, uh, uh, hay, uh, you know, haymakers the way that uh, that Cassian was, uh, and, and the Flames too. I mean, I think the closest guy was was Lindholm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't think if I were him, I'd be I'd be jumping in either. Um, so I, I can't really fault those guys. Um, you know, people think that, that Kachuk is, is, uh, kind of a welterweight, uh, you know, Brian Burke was, was commenting that, um, you know, he, he, he you know, Kachuk shouldn't have to step in there because, uh, Cassian's in a different weight class, but they you know, they're pretty close in size. Uh, I, I obviously, uh, Cassian has a lot, you know, longer in the league and a, and a big, you know, track record in terms of fighting compared to Kachuk. But they're not uh, so too dissimilar in terms of their size and weight, um, you know. As, as just a point, and, and another thing, you know, our our, um, our podcast producer here, Jeff Dement, sent us a note here, uh, just in regards to some of the player reaction. I forgot about this because we were talking about this at the rink too. Uh, I, I saw Scotty Upshaw yesterday about how you know how predatory uh, he felt the the hip uh, the hit was, and how there's like, as I kind of alluded to that there's no point of a winger going down there to make those hits and uh team Mussolini uh kind of chiming in as well uh I think there were a few others I haven't seen anyone come to the the defense of 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 Kachuk in, in saying that it was a you know the hits were were um you know onside or or or, or legal or fine you know run-of-the-mill hockey hits so um yeah just you know things worth considering again uh it does not excuse uh, the way that that Cassian responded to it, because um, it again ultimately hurt the Oilers in, in a very crucial game. 
Yeah, and uh, just to just to touch on on the matter of the hits, like we we all know what Kachuk was doing, right? Like he he pegged Cassian as a guy who would respond to goading, and he was goading. So, you know, if you're if you're an advocate of the code, yeah, Kachuk's got to step up because he he brought it on himself. Like I, I don't care what his weight class is, if you go after a guy, that's what you're doing. I'm I'm not particularly a code kind of guy. I I I. Uh, but I do think that if you look at the hits Kachuk was throwing, like Cassian mentioned Rafi Torres after the game, and it was a good uh, player to mention because you look back at what Torres did. For years and years, he did not get any official notice from the NHL for the hits he was throwing, and then the league decided to take them out of the game. It wasn't that Ka- that he you know suddenly started headhunting eight years into his career. It was that the league decided to do something about stuff that had been legal but was damaging to the game. You look at those Kachuk hits, I, I think the second one was charging. I don't think it was legal, but even if you think it was, all all three of those hits were of the, if you believe the second one was legal and you believe the first one was legal, of the technically legal but uh, definitely dangerous um, variety, just like Torres back in the day. And eventually they're going to come out of the game and, uh, you know, the sooner the better. As, as for the playoff implications... Um, I didn't get a chance to put it in the piece, but post-game Clefbaum, I, I was talking to him, and he said, you know, it's it's too much to just say it came down to that one goal. There were four goals in the game. We're not going to win in Calgary if we have to score five. Like, we want to keep it to two or three. That was just one of them. And, uh, and the other thing that... Um, the casting said, you know, it's game 45. It's it's not going to make or break us, and, and maybe there's a little bit of self-justification there, but it is an 82-game season, and if, you, if you're picking any one game... Really, all you're saying is that they were they were on the bubble and uh, it, it went against them. The, the The implications of that hit are are uh, coming up. If we find out before the end of this podcast, we'll we'll chat about that. But let's let's uh, let's move on to to a couple of things that I that I noticed, and I hope that we would have talked more about. But it didn't really hit the the other media, so I thought maybe we could climb aboard and talk about. The, the second line, Connor Yamamoto being called up, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, that line seems to have clicked. Now, not necessarily in possession. They're still under 50%, but they're, they're scoring goals pretty, uh, pretty well here in the early days. Start with you, John. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Yamamoto has brought, and do you like him there on, on what is becoming a, a fairly productive line in the early days? Well, it's interesting that there's some chemistry between Yamamoto and Drysaddle. Like Drysaddle really likes Yamamoto. You talk to him at all about him, and he he just sings his praises. And uh, I I think they're both. I I, I think there's a sense that uh, everybody on the line has enough skill to make plays, and that hasn't always been the case with Drysaddle's wingers. So I like that about him. I'm not convinced Yamamoto is a top six NHL player long term. I mean, obviously we'll we'll find out. He might be. But I'm, I'm not convinced that's the case. I'm curious as to how he's going to score goals. Although, ooh, that you know, he, he certainly was effective against the Flames. Um, I, I, the the line, like you're right. The the overall numbers aren't there yet. But Drysaddle's coming out of a slump. Nugent Hopkins is kind of an interesting player at five on five because he's always been, you know, just brilliant on the power play and and he's sort of almost I don't want to say tag along at five on five, but he's he doesn't bring the same level of offensive ability that he he does at. Uh, in special team situations. I, I like the unit mostly because, less because of what they've done and more on theory. I think that Yamamoto is a good bet as a complimentary piece. 
and I think Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl are, you know, the, the second and the third best players on the team in terms of forwards, and putting them together gives you the best shot at having a second line that can take some pressure off the first unit. I, I think it's the, the right way to go, and it's astonishing to me that we're, you know, however many years into McDavid's career, and this is the first time we're really seeing a, a coach take this tack for any length of time. Yeah, I'd really like to see this this unit get a little little uh, runway here. I, I, I mean, I, I I think I'd pretty much agree with John in, in the Yamamoto um, um, kind of evaluation. Um, in that, I, I don't know if he's a top six NHL forward either, but I really like him there so far with with um, Drysaddle and, and Nugent Hopkins. That that pass he made up to Nugent Hopkins and that goal was just tremendous. I like this the speed and tenacity. Uh, that he brings, which is kind of why I was av- advocating for a guy like Nygaard, but I think Yamamoto has a little bit more, uh, obviously younger, and there's up more upside, and, and I think there's a little bit more maybe offensive uh, potential there than than um, than Nygaard. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, John, I know John just mentioned it, and I know he's been advocating this for a long time in the sense that I think McDavid we all know it is such a superstar that he can kind of drive his own line and um you know with with Cassian and and um and James Neal there those are our two guys that you you know at 5 on 5 are, are you know are not you know prototypical you know first line players uh, obviously Zach Cassian has found ways to produce there and and has had a nice season um obviously not getting any power play time so the production you know has all come at uh, at even strength um, but McDavid can make those guys around him better. Um, whereas, you know, Nugent Hopkins and, and Drysdale and, and Winger X, in this case Yamamoto, um, can can kind of form a nice second line, um, and, and it's the best way potentially to, to kind of balance out the top two lines. So, um, yeah, is it going to be the, the, the long-term um, solution? I'm, I'm not sure, but I would like to see kind of what this line has in store and, you know, a couple more games here and then, you know, a couple more at, uh, to close out the month and, and, and let it ride. I, I, w- I would definitely do that if I were Dave Tippett, and I think there might be something there. The the, the big concern I have for Yamamoto is is I, I think he can play top nine. I don't know if it's top six, and, and there there is a difference there. But I worry about his being able to stay healthy. The, the hand injury uh, a year ago really derailed him, NHL and AHL. So far, so good. Uh, and and he drew a penalty the other night as well. He, he certainly is an effective player. Now, gentlemen, I know you're both going to be rolling your eyes here at my next question. So uh, I'll start with Daniel this time. With the impending possible suspension of Cassian, it could be one, two, uh, maybe three, could be more for all I know. Uh, is there any thought in your mind about the the Oilers maybe giving this little window of opportunity to a player like Tyler Benson? I thought you were going to talk about trading uh, Matt Benning. Um, so that's next. You know, okay. <laughs> so I, I uh, no, my my eyes are firmly straight ahead. They did they did not go up. I, this is a, an interesting. <laughs> point of conversation um no i you know what i i think uh, you know we don't know exactly what's going to happen with 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 uh, cassian here i i would suspect or expect uh, that he will be suspended um but i think there's enough there like you wouldn't think it would be a long suspension and i don't know i i i still see kind of a post um uh break uh all-star break slash bye week uh, time to to call him up it would make a little bit more sense to me um 
I think, you know, we're getting to that point where it's probably, you know, sooner than later, um, you know, um, for Tyler Benson to, to get a taste of the NHL. I'm not sure it's quite yet. Uh, and I'm not sure I would do it quite yet because they're, you know, um, there's still, you know, a few guys in, in a pinch. I mean, uh, I say this name all the time, but I think, you know, Sam Gagne is a guy that could probably pop up there for a game or two or whatever it happens to be uh, for Gagne, uh, or for, uh, for if Cassian is suspended, rather. Um, you know, maybe Nightguard or something like that. I don't think I'd, I'd bring him up uh, right now. I'd probably, again, wait till after the break at some point and, and let him have a run uh, if and when that happens. I agree entirely with Daniel about waiting, and the reason is the one he's highlighted, which is the schedule. So look at it this way. The Oilers play two games before their break. They play on the 14th and they play on the 18th, and then they don't play again until January 29th. If you leave Benson in Bakersfield, he's going to play on the 14th, the 17th, the 18th, the 20th, the 22nd, the 24th, and the 25th. So that's seven games in a span of time when the Oilers have two. He's still a young player. He's still developing. Give him that full run, and then bring him bring him up for the end of the month. And if you if you're out if you're without Cassian for those two games, well, that's that's why you have guys like Sam Gagne kicking around or Patrick Russell kicking around. Not necessarily for the McDavid line, but you you can fill that slot for two games. Um, give Benson a nice long run in the American League, seven more contests, so he's, you're not calling him up to sit for a week, and and then bring him up at the end of the month. And I, I think, regardless of whether Cassian is suspended for any length of time, I I think I'd be surprised if it was more than three games, and I only think three because they play Calgary three games from now. Um, but uh, I, th- I think Benson's coming up regardless. I, I just I don't think they want to do it before the break. I, I think they see value in, in keeping him playing. The uh... Full 60 with Craig Custance is one of the Athletic's uh, terrific uh, podcasts. And, and uh, Custance wrote on the lead the other day, uh, NHL trade big board, 27 players who could move before the deadline. Uh, one of them is uh, mentioned was Jean-Gabriel Pajot of the Ottawa Senators. Pierre Lebrun had an article in The Athletic today about uh, Pajot possibly being of interest to the Oilers. And, you know, one assumes that might come with a contract as well. So this is a player we've mentioned quite a bit here, uh, gentlemen, in the past. John, I'll start with you. Uh, I'm not... I'm not necessarily as interested in the, the the return, which we can talk about if you wish, but uh, you have talked about the idea on this podcast uh, as earlier about when you trade for a guy who's having a career year, and I think we can agree with uh, the fact that Pajot is having one. Is there a little danger here in your opinion, John? Yeah, absolutely there is. Like Whether you trade for him or whether you sign him in free agency, you're, you're buying a guy at the peak of his powers and and with the salary that that implies and if you're expecting him to continue you know performing at a career best pace the odds are you're going to be disappointed because most guys when they have a, a brilliant year mid-career it's a it's a peak rather than a, a new level of ability that they've unlocked there's no uh there's no level ups at the at the nhl right like you so i i think there's there's a risk in that sense i understand that he's a great fit but i think when you look at the number of issues the Oilers have, I'd rather take the the money and the assets that you would spend on acquiring him and and put them somewhere else. Even though you know he would be a great third line center for them, but you're you're going to pay more than you should for that position if you're going after Pajot. I think. Yeah, I'm all for. Uh, I, I agree with John, and I'm all for acquiring him at the right price. Um, I'd be leery about you know I. 
an extension, which he probably wouldn't sign, uh, you know, in, a, in terms of a couple of years or maybe three at the most uh, at, you know, at the right dollars. I don't, I can't, uh, you know, haven't really thought about it quite enough or explored it right enough, uh, well enough or rather in terms of their cap. Uh, but that probably wouldn't be enticing enough to to Pajot, who could hit the open market uh, and, and command something a lot more lucrative. So, um, again, we've as we talked about, like the, the first round pick is, is almost certainly not in play because it wasn't for Taylor Hall. So, so why would you do it for for somebody who uh, almost certainly won't have the same, you know, or or you know, as as big an impact? Obviously, they're different players and they bring different skill sets. But uh, um, so. You know, I, I just because of that, I you know, Pajot is very seemingly very uh, sought after right now. You would think Ottawa could get a, a first round pick for him. Um, you never know. I mean, uh, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have it in front of me, but I don't think Mark Stone um, got one last year for Ottawa, and that's a player you would think would 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 get a first round pick in return, especially since he signed a, a contract. Uh, although he did obviously get uh, uh, the Senators. Uh, uh, Eric Brandstrom, who's a high-quality prospect on defense, um, you know, uh, to me, Pajot's exactly what they need for right now. But the um, acquisition cost and the uh, potential to um, sign him to a contract that could look pretty bad very, you know, very quickly would would scare me a little bit. But if you could get him right now on the right for for the right uh, uh, package, I'd be all for it. It was a uh, second-round pick, you're right, uh, Brandstrom and Oscar Lindbergh for uh, Tobias Lindbergh and uh, and Mark Stone, and that happened February 25th of last year. The The, the trade for me, the idea is uh, an interesting one. The problem is that you're – you're you're you know you're going to trade a lot of assets for a rental, and if you are going to sign, I keep reading. I, I know that that uh, Peter Shirelli said this, and I believe Ken Holland did too. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's always a talk of Nugent Hopkins at six million dollars. That's that's too much to spend on a, a third line center. Well, I if you're signing Pajo, it's going to be a big number. So I, I I'm just hesitant to to um, maybe acquire a guy who's going to use up some of what I would have thought would have gone uh, to a scoring winger. Uh, is that fair, John? Well, I, yeah, I, the, I think the Peter Shirelli quote you're referencing, if I remember right, was uh, about him being a third line center. But if you sort of imagine pairs and, you know, he's a, he's a top six forward on ice time. I, I can't remember exactly how he put it. But to me, the idea that Nugent Hopkins is a third line center because he's your third line, even strength center it's it's wrong like I mean he's playing four minutes a night on the first power play unit he's playing a minute and a half shorthanded he can play 12 minutes per game at even strength and still be up at around the 18 minute mark which is a lot for an NHL forward it's very comfortably a top six NHL forward so it, to me it's a bad idea to get hung up on um, where he slots into the even strength lineup because on special teams he's going to be doing so much more anyway so you you can you can have him be your number three even strength center if you if you so desire and and still get all the stuff that he brings you on special teams um and and i don't i don't know that it makes a big difference if you put the assets into a top six winger and shift nugent hopkins to the middle or you put the assets into a center and leave nugent hopkins on the wing or you put the assets to the center and you trade nugent hopkins for a winger on the theory that centers are at a premium and you can get a better winger for you know the the uh, the needs you have I just think it's important not to overpay for assets whenever possible. 
So um, I wrote about this, um, I think a, last week, Just I can't remember if it was a predictions piece or uh, kind of a Q&A that I took from our subscribers, but um, to me, how you build the team, I think it's just a matter of getting better players over the time. And, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, his, his versatility... I think allows you to to do different things. I think you would, you know, if you if you feel like you there's a third line center that is just so amazing that you ha- you have to get him again, obviously at the right price. Um, then Ryan Nugent Hopkins can be a you know a second line winger or even you know second line uh, center and have dry saddle with McDavid or, or whatever. Or if you you know find all these great wingers, you can make Ryan Nugent Hopkins your your third line center. Um, I was talking to him, you know, this is obviously dating a little, things a little bit now, but uh, at the beginning of, of last season when he was, he started uh, the year with, um, with uh, McDavid and, and, and uh, our long lost friend, Ty Ratty. Um, and he was saying that he, he kind of takes the approach of, of, you know, what the Sharks did and guys, a guy like Logan Couture, who, uh, you know, a few years ago, especially uh, when they had, uh, you know, Pavelski and, um, uh, you know, Thornton and Marlowe and, and all these guys were more at the top of their games. Uh, Couture would be kind of moved in and out of, of center and wing. And I thought that was a really interesting um, kind of insight or perspective that, that Nugent Hopkins had. And I think that's something that the Oilers can, can kind of take advantage of in the, in the next little while. Uh, obviously, um, by the end of, of of the you know next summer so summer 2021 uh he needs a, a new contract or something needs to be uh, done because he, he could be a you know free agent at that time um so his long-term future is is not exactly set in stone here but if you are going to keep Nugent Hopkins on the team um I think there's some um and, and obviously John makes a good point about the special teams but I think there are some um some flexibilities that that the roster could could bring uh in terms of you know how you're you're going to bolster the roster because of of what Nugent Hopkins can do and how versatile he can be. Here's my question for you because I'm del- I am delighted to watch Dave Tippett coach a year in the NHL. I'm learning so much about how he thinks about what is important to him and it, you know he like every coach that you watch uh from Mac T to Pat Quinn and whoever they can surprise you. I'll be honest with you. I was surprised that that he kept going back to that he went to Mike Smith and then he kept going back to him. So John, I'll start with you. Uh on this road trip were you surprised at how much Mike Smith played uh and and w- what was what was the the feeling that you had or based on talking to uh people on the team? Smith just seemed to take over the job there on the road trip. Well, so the the Buffalo game they lost in overtime. He played pretty well, but wasn't you know brilliant. Like he was, there was one overtime save in particular which was just gorgeous. But but I didn't think he was brilliant. But I wasn't surprised he went back to him for Boston because I mean Koskinen was sick and he's uh, you want like Tippett's keenly aware that he needs both goalies. So you go back to him in Boston. He's great in Boston, and then you're comfortable going back to him he started him in Toronto and I thought okay well yeah you know he's brilliant in Boston whatever um but I was shocked he started in Montreal and I thought okay so he's played three straight games you want you don't want to lose Koskinen and you you don't want him sitting for too long you probably want to start Smith against Calgary um that that was sort of my rationale and then when he started Smith against Montreal I thought okay well this this is a situation that could blow up in his face and and he absolutely he was absolutely right smith was smith was fantastic he wasn't worried about smart starting him against calgary obviously and 
it was a reminder to me that Tippett's got a pretty decent read on Smith. Because in my head, I'm always like, okay, well, they've got a relationship, so maybe maybe there's a tendency to look past some of the problems and, and, and give him the benefit of the doubt. But there's also just a familiarity. He knows when he's on a roll. He knows what he can do when he's on a roll. And uh, he, he wagered, and he wagered correctly. Yeah, I found the decision to start Smith in Toronto to be kind of puzzling and the then the uh, the decision to start in Montreal like very perplexing um to you know to give you know tip it's been very mindful and and cognizant of of, of not overplaying goalies and, and getting both guys in and then to start Smith uh four games in a row albeit with with Koskinen uh battling illness for the first little bit of it um was pretty surprising and, and um you know uh it worked out uh, you know when the with the three you know, Olin won record and, and Smith playing pretty well, especially obviously as John alluded to in the Boston game and, you know, pretty, you know, well enough in Montreal. Um, and the others won. So you, you can't really criticize the coach too much for getting, for getting the, uh, you know, the wins. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I thought he would give him uh, the start in Montreal, especially, or sorry, in Calgary rather, especially uh, because um, Koskinen got the start in the, the first uh, Calgary game in Edmonton, um, a couple of days before, uh, or coming off the, the, uh, the holiday Christmas break. So, um, obviously the, the starting Koskinen, um, and, and the result that happened didn't work in the Oilers favor, but, um, the, you know, the previous ones worked out okay. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've been saying this all along that they need two goaltenders and, and Smith's relationship with, with Tippett. Um, and, and, you know, obviously his contract status with the, the no trade protection meant that he was probably uh, almost certainly going to be an oiler for the end of this year. So they need to kind of get him going. And, and at least for now, that, that seems to be the case. Obviously with, with Smith, it could be kind of Jekyll and Hyde, but um, you kind of have to take the, the good times when they come. And I guess uh, Tippett can take a little credit for that. Don't forget to please rate and subscribe to the Oil Can on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash theoilcan, you get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. You get to hear a bonus subscriber-only edition of The Oil Can with Daniel, Jonathan, and myself each week. Uh, to I have milked this as long as I can, gentlemen. We still don't have a, a Zach Cassian uh, word on his suspension. Uh, so I imagine we'll be talking about that Thursday. Fair? I think so. I don't think it's going to come up again the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> maybe once. And, well, maybe I mean, maybe once like or the, twice. The... <laughs> I think you'll get, I, for the record, I, I think you'll get two games. I think you'll be back for the Calgary game. That's my guess, but I, I, have a, I have a little fear in my heart about that third game. Let's see. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. This has been the Oil Cam Podcast. Oil Cam Podcast.